Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to this episode of Cracking Addiction. And today we've got the good Dr. Matthew Fry with us. Uh, Matthew, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. So for the benefit of the listeners, can you describe what your job role is? So I'm an addiction medicine specialist, um, uh, a fellow of the chapter of addiction medicine with the College of Physicians and my job for some time has been as an addiction medicine specialist um, in a um, clinical leadership role, I'm uh, the clinical director of a large uh, alcohol and drug service in Melbourne, Turning Point. Yeah. So one of your specialties is actually helping practitioners, prescribers, who find themselves in difficulties. Could you let us or t- talk to us a little bit about what that actually means? Yeah, so it's something I became interested in early in my addiction medicine career and uh, it um, is really about uh, uh, helping doctors with um, dependence or um, addiction Uh, and the reason it's an issue or a a subspecialty within addiction medicine or within um, healthcare is because uh, doctors are notoriously um, bad at getting help for all sorts of problems but particularly those that may have a negative um, impact on their um, uh, uh, their reputation, their income, their occupation. And as, as you may know, um, you know, using um, illicit drugs or using drugs illicitly um, has got a huge negative impact on, on medical practitioners, on health practitioners generally, on anybody in fact. Uh, it's not... It's not um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, addiction is a is a devastating illness. It's a chronic disease, as as we both know, uh, and it's got a devastating impact on the lives of both patients and their families. But, I mean, I, I'm reflecting on on the 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 issues around addiction in the medical profession, and it's almost it's similar to any other chronic disease, isn't it? There's a huge stigma surrounding doctors who get sick, and especially with mental health. And even more so with addiction, would you not say? Absolutely. It's, I think it's pretty much still the lowest of the low in terms of um, diseases that you don't want to have, in terms of uh, what it does to your standing with um, uh, you know, people in the community, with society in general. Um, and, and particularly doctors. I mean, the, the, the sense is that doctors you know, should know better, that um, they've got all this knowledge about drugs, so why would they use drugs? Um, and possibly the opposite is true. One of the reasons doctors, I think, uh, uh, use drugs that has been established is um, this sort of faith in the value, how, how uh, effective um, uh, drugs are uh, because they're um, part and parcel of what we do every day. So they're a very big part of uh, our um, professional life. So uh, there's this sort of over, over-investment in the worth of drugs, I think, in mm. some doctors. And, you know, there's, it's, we have to acknowledge the fact that being a, a healer, being a doctor, being a nurse, being you know, an allied health professional, being, being registered with APRA, any of those professions are very stressful. You know, it's, um, there's an enormous pressure amongst uh, our craft group to actually perform at the highest level constantly. And, you know, given the COVID uh, outbreak and, and how we've had to deal with that, it's... it's, it's um, I have enormous amounts of sympathy for people who find themselves suddenly caught up in this. 
Uh, I mean, do you think that COVID has impacted upon the health profession in in, uh, in terms of the prevalence of substance use disorders? Look, I, to be honest, I, I don't know, and I think it's probably um, too early to to you know have a good sense of what it's done to you know specific groups in the community. Mm. Um, it, it, if it's anything like what it's done to the rest of the community, it's quite possible. And I think uh, it's worth pointing out that um, you know doctors, the prevalence of substance use disorder in doctors is is actually about the same as the general population. So mm. there's um, sometimes a sense that um, we're more prone to addiction than um, you know the general population. And, uh, it's about the same, which is you know significant, of course. Um, uh, and but the difference is with doctors is a few differences. One of them is that uh, doctors, as I pointed uh, out initially, they're very bad at seeking help. They're they're, yeah. they're very late to go present, and we know just about any disease, including uh, mental health conditions and uh, conditions like addiction, uh, benefit from early presentation, from early treatment, early recognition and management. But given the given the regulatory framework around presenting, is it any wonder? And can you talk to us about the regulatory framework? Yeah, so, so our um, regulation authority, which regulates a number of the health professions, um, the Australian Health Practitioners Regulation Authority, APRA, um, have a job to do. And the job that they do is uh, protect the public, protect the reputation of the professions. Um, and the job they're not really... Um, mandated to do is to look after doctors per se. They're not a health service for doctors or nurses or any other of their um, professional groups. So um, that in, in looking after the public, um, in protecting the public, if you like, against um, possible impairment from a health practitioner or a medical practitioner or the health practitioner, the first move is usually to pull that practitioner away from the public to um, stand them down from work for a while. Uh, and and it, it's really um, not a consideration if you know, you're depending on your work for income uh, or um, uh, any of the other hardships that come from losing your job. Sometimes, you know, very um, very rapidly after uh, somebody notifies about a concern, um, they're not concerned about that. Their their uh, priority, their top priority, is protecting the public, and if that means the doctor's going to um, Suffer as a result, then so be it, and and that's a that's that's an honourable and a and a reasonable uh, uh, motive to uh, to work under to protect the public from harm. I think that's there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, and we need a regulator regulator that protects the public, um, but there is some um, significant fallout, and I think we've got to be cautious about um, uh, seeing things in the long term or the medium term where. Um, actually um, significantly damaging the profession will, I think, potentially have uh, far-reaching effects, not not just um, on the uh, index doctor, if you like, or the index practitioner, but mm. uh, it, it, it's, there's a flow on. So tell us a little bit about mandatory reporting, because that's something that troubles my soul sometimes. Yeah, so... Uh, but I'm not an expert in mandatory reporting, and, and the reason is it's changed a bit. But initially, it was, um, uh, as you say, uh, it was a, a reporting that's mandatory, which means that if you're a, a colleague practitioner, um, another health practitioner under APRA, and you observe uh, a, cons- a, a practice or behaviour or, or anything that you think might harm the community from a doctor that's impaired or affected um, 
by by disease or mental illness or anything, um, then it doesn't matter if this is this is the principle behind mandatory reporting. It doesn't doesn't matter if you're the that doctor's treating practitioner if you're involved in a in a therapeutic relationship with the doctor. You have to um, report or you're, you're meant to report um, that doctor to make a notification to the board about your concern. And if you don't, um, there's potentially consequences, and that was built into the into mandatory reporting. Now, where where it gets a bit um, uh, uh, cloudy for me is the um, I know that that has been softened, um, and that um, it, it's perhaps um, not quite as severe and um, and sort of um, big big stick like um, as it was. Uh, but there's still an um, a a expectation and a requirement, not just a moral one, a legal one, I gather, um, to report people, to notify people that, uh, in the profession who are um, of concern. And I think this is one of the barriers for doctors to seek help for any condition, but especially mental health conditions and, and uh, addictions. If you, The minute you seek help, certainly in Victoria, the person that you seek help from is or at least to my understanding, is mandated to actually make a notification to APRA against you. So that's one of the barriers to accessing healthcare for the impaired practitioner. Would you not agree with that? You're absolutely right. That's And that's you're absolutely right about the expectation of the pra treating practitioner and um, absolutely right about um, uh, what what the consequence is. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think a lot of us um, would... Um, Reinterpret that um, and 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 look at it, um, you know, in a in a sensible way, which is that the ultimate goal of everything that the regulators do, the regulator does, is to protect the public. Now, you, you can effectively protect the public in most of these cases if you get the doctor to stop working. If there's a concern, if you're concerned, um, uh, take action um, by getting the doctor to stop work voluntarily. Um, and uh, engage them in treatment, and um, you know, take it from there, and, and review and reassess regularly. And um, in most cases, where there's impairment, whether it's um, mental health issues or it's uh, substance use, uh, that is quite effective. And, and um, in fact, the um, idea that this is going to be contained without involving the regulator is actually quite a, a motivator um, for mm. people to engage in treatment and, and to cease work, of course. So. That, that's in a, now sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes uh, you, you can't get a handle on um, whether they're going to work or not, or um, you, you know you're uncertain and you, you might be concerned that the public's being put at risk. Uh, and look, sometimes there's no choice but to contact the uh, the regulator. It's it's virtually never happened to me, but um, you know it does it does happen, and uh, a lot of uh, as a result, a lot of people that I see have already been in contact with the regulator. Um, but then not in a positive way. Yeah, um, I mean, I've got some experience of treating doctors, not not for uh, addictions or mental health issues, but just generally. And, you know, I'm just reflecting on listening to what you're saying. I'm also reflecting on my own personal response to to seeing someone. So when I, you know, in, in my hat as a GP, when I uh, look at down my list and I know that one of my patients is a doctor, I'm I'm a little bit apprehensive you know, I'm wondering, you know, am I going to be judged about the standard of care that I deliver? And also, am I going to get involved into in a mandatory reporting scenario? Because 
even with patients who are not medically qualified, you know, this this concept of mandatory reporting, especially for driving, it, you know, it, it it creates a therapeutic barrier, I reckon. Um, and I think it's even more pronounced uh, when you're looking after a patient who is medically qualified. What, what, so given that I don't have any experience of looking after a, a doctor who is impaired by virtue of drugs or alcohol, what does it feel like from, from your position to, um, to provide that kind of care? Um, I think the, the, um, the feelings that you get, the, the sort of self-talk and the, um, uh, the, the way we feel when we see colleagues is probably um, fairly universal or, or very similar in many people and certainly the sort of sense that you describe of feeling like you might be being assessed and, um, you know, that that you might be your patient might be more skilled medically than you are and mm. um it's going to be it's humiliating and embarrassing and mortifying to to uh try to treat this person um it's not uncommon and i and it's why um to some extent uh treating doctors treating doctors is tricky it, um we make crap patients mm. um and and not and not very good at treating um our colleagues uh, you know, in some cases, and or it's it's challenging to treat our colleagues, um, and some people do it better than others. Um, and what happens as a result? I think, uh, um, in fact, I, I'm uh, seeing this so many times that I'm uh, convinced it's the case. Is that uh, while doctors can often get treatment, um, they're late at presenting for illness, but they can access. Treatment. We're very health literate. We've got colleagues and um, contact with uh, the health system. We're we're pretty good at. Um, interacting with it. Um, so doctors can get treatment, it's whether they can get good treatment. Um, there's plenty of treatment they can access, but it's often on their terms, on on our terms, I should say. It's often um, uh, when we want it, when we, but a kind of, a bit our own doctor and, and a bit, um, uh, you know, using a, a, another uh, a professional for stuff that we can't do to ourselves or can't do ourselves. Um, so again, that's where we make um, poor patients. And I think what um, I tell doctors if I'm talking to doc to doctors, and I used to do a lot of it talking to um, either junior doctors or undergraduates. Is that you know get yourself a GP. Um, you know don't try to second guess your GP. Uh, you, there's no um, no need to just pretend that you don't know anything. Um, you know talk like uh, you know feign um, ignorance about the medical stuff that you know. But um, I think it's discomforting for everybody if. Um, you're, you know, you're trying to second guess your doctor. You're, you're, you're talking about research that you've done on your condition, and you think this is the best treatment. And, and, um, and that look, that does happen, and um, it's, it's makes it incredibly difficult, I think, to give good treatment to somebody who's um, kind of dictating your treatment. We've got to put ourselves in the treat in the patient um, role in these settings, and we, we there's some again, some of us are better at that than others. Some are fantastic. You know, some people are really, really would include people I treat for dependence there. They're really absolutely fine about saying, look, you're the doctor, you know, I might be a specialist in some, um, you know, complex area and uh, a professor or whatever, but in this in this interaction, you're the doctor, I'm the patient, I'll just do what you recommend. I'll follow them or question what you do if they uh, want explanation or, or rationale, but um, the, the good uh, patient doctors, that's, that's the... Um, uh, rhetoric they're using, the, the talk mm. they use. So when a when an impaired practitioner comes to you, you're saying to me that it's usually because there's been already a referral from APRA. So 
in your experience, the doctors that you treat, how, how has APRA um, come to know about them? Um, it's invariably uh, the notification system. So it's the, the system where the, the um, uh, individual, whether it can be the um, drugs and poisons, the medic medicines and poisons regulator in the state of Victoria will, will make these notifications. Uh, can be a patient, can be a patient's relative, can be a pharmacist in a, in a uh, community pharmacy, a, a high street pharmacy. Um, the sort of the, it's usually the, the people that have observed something of concern, and um, you know, so, so pharmacists are common uh, to report drugs, uh, doctors using drugs, uh, as are the um, a, a scheduled drug regulators uh, authority, like um, uh, drugs and poisons or medicines and poisons, um, and. Uh, you can just write a um, one can just write a uh, notification to to APRA and uh, submit it. You can it, it can even be submitted anonymously, but um, it's anonymous not to APRA but to everyone else and the doctor that uh, you're notifying on. Um, and it's as simple as that. And um, whether we like it or not, APRA treat every notification um, on its merits and and um, will investigate to some extent most most notifications. Regardless of who they come from or what they are, uh, in my experience, you know, I'm not. Um, I don't work for APRA, and I, um, I'm just going on what I've observed of the notification system, and that makes sense because you know they're about protecting the public, and and it's I think it's about um, giving every complainant or every notifier the benefit of the doubt and, and just um, establishing what's going on, even if um, uh, you know it's, it's a fairly tenuous. It's on fairly tenuous grounds that the notification is being made. And I think would it be fair to say that most doctors whom you see have a, a, a an optimistic hope that they can get better and recover and get back to practice. I mean, is is that in your experience is that a a usual outcome amongst the cohort of the doctors that you look after? Look, I, I think. Um, I, I think it, it does vary a bit, and and there are some who are incredibly um, depressed about what's happened and uh, uh, have lost a lot, and may not see um, because of depression any hope at all. Um, they they may be uh, quite despairing of um, their, their their future. Uh, fortunately, that's that's unusual, but that certainly happens. Um, I think they're they're really pretty, pr probably pretty similar to. Um, the mainstream public, if you like, or the lay public, or whatever we want to call people that aren't doctors, uh, unhealth professionals. Uh, um, you know, some people um, are very motivated and, and are confident and hopeful and um, optimistic and so on, and others are um, a bit less so. I, I think what's uh, a, a, a good bit of information that I always give doctors that I'm treating early on and, and reinforce it intermittently when I can is that um, while... Um, uh, doctors are late to present for treatment um, and, and can sometimes make poor patients. Um, they are um, uh, overrepresented in uh, the uh, success stories or um, the outcomes of treatment, you know, are in the higher, much higher levels than the, the general public. And, um, you know, uh, some of them, of course, um, it ends very badly for some doctors and doctors do die of this um, condition. But, um in general, um, people that um, engage in treatment for substance use disorder that are doctors uh, tend to have very high outcomes that we don't necessarily see in other 
um, uh, groups. You know, it's, it's, uh, um, a number, and there's a number of um, uh, explanations or, or reasons why that would be so. Um, you know, the health literacy I mentioned earlier, the ability, the ability to access the health system, but also um, the, the resources that many of us are fortunate enough, but blessed enough to have around us, like family, a, a bit of money, and, and you know that that we know that helps even in a, a very um, well underwritten uh, health system like we have in Australia, and um, you know a, a, a very strong. Um, it needs to be said a very strong motivator to get um, well, which is um, it, once you're well, you get back to work, you get the, all the rewards that. Um, um, you know, doctors get um, the the prestige and the money and the and just being in a job, of course. And many of us are um, de-skilled to the point of only being able to do medicine. And there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, that that's our identity and that's our life. And to not have that have that threatened or taken away is uh, is a real um, uh, devastating um, situation to be in for many of us. And uh, to be able to get it back is a, is a very, um, we're very fortunate. We're very lucky that, uh, in most cases, by doing the required things and, and engaging in some sort of therapeutic uh, program, we can get back to work. It's not the end of the world in most cases. That's a very good message of hope, isn't it? That, that for for doctors who are impaired as a result of addictions, when they come and see you, most of them get back into the workplace. Absolutely, that's that's the majority. Yeah, uh, for sure. How long is that time process? How long does it take to get back Look, to work? It, it, it varies. I, I mean, I don't. Um, for somebody that does the right thing and, and um, engages in, you know, a recovery or a, a program that, um, uh, you know, is 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 able to be established by some sort of objective monitoring and um, it can be presented as something that is going to uh, minimise the risk or. or uh, very very low risk to the public when you're being tested three times a week mm. um, for, for substances. That group shouldn't be really out of um, being able to work for very long at all. But I mean, months is the probably uh, a couple of months is probably sometimes the maximum um, that you'd expect mm. or, or mm. around the ballpark of what people might be off work for. It depends though. Some people like to engage and um, you know might um, want to use the time to, to you know reflect a bit and are in no big hurry to get back to work, in fact. Um, others are just desperate and, and will do everything, go through every hoop they need to, to to do the right thing to satisfy the requirements that APRA has that they're safe and, and low risk to, to return to uh, practice. And it, it doesn't take that long. I mean, it's not, and I don't think um, it's about the, the time off, the break from work, the mandated time off from work. It's, it's, I think the real um, challenge for doctors is maintaining that um, uh, motivation and, and, you know, keeping on going when um, the requirements of um, monitoring by the, by the regulator, you know, are really quite onerous. Mm. Well, thank you, Matthew, for your pearls of wisdom on this subject. I hope that uh, our listeners are receiving this message of hope, that it is possible to recover from this uh, chronic illness and get back into the workplace. But uh, yeah, Matthew, I really look forward to chatting with you again very shortly. Thank you. That's all for today's episode. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and you've been watching A Cracking Addiction.